You're listening to Grace Matters, conversations establishing believers in the truth. This month's Grace Matters panel conversation was great, and I missed it. I was so sad to have a sick child the day of the event. Wasn't able to find any coverage, so I had to wait and listen to this just before you get to listen to this. I was able to chew on a lot of these numbers and demographic data with Mike Sowers over the last several weeks as we prepared for this conversation. There's a few observations I would love to drop in and maybe do some fancy editing and pretend like I'm part of the conversation, but it doesn't really make sense to do all of that because these guys did a great job. I hope you enjoy listening to this panel conversation, and I'll give you a few more thoughts at the end. All right, if everybody can find their spot, we'll get started. Well, good evening, and welcome to Grace Matters, where we're engaging in conversations that encourage and establish believers in the truth. And uh, if you've been in this area any amount of time, you have noticed that over the recent years, an explosion of population growth, and that growth is going to continue. You may have found yourself asking the question that one scribe asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And Jesus responded with the parable of the, the Good Samaritan that uh, no demographic should go uncared for who God places in our path. Years later, Jesus, uh, James wrote to the church and said, if someone who is destitute comes knocking on your door, and you said, hey, welcome, uh, be warm, be filled, God bless you, and then shut the door in their face, what kind of faith is that? None at all. So tonight, we're going to engage in a conversation not only about what the demographics are of this uh, area population, but even more than that, how does that inform us how we can engage the world or our communities with the good news of Jesus Christ? Joining us this evening, you know uh, Lee Williford, one of our elders. Uh, he is both Christian and Christian business operator. Should we say that? Sounds great. <laughs> and an elder here. Uh, and um, returning with us, Mike Sowers, uh, Great Commission Catalyst with the B Baptist State Convention of North Carolina. Uh, if you remember, he was with us last time as we looked at some of these demographics, looking at life after Roe. And now we're going to dig a little deeper. So I'm really interested to, uh, to hear what you have for us, not only with um, statistics. So if you are a visual person, if you like math or graphs and charts, tonight is your night. <laughs> If not, bear with us, because I think there is a lot to be gleaned from this conversation of not only what to expect with uh, new neighbors, but really how to equip the church, how the church is to be prepared to engage uh, in conversations um, that lead to Jesus. So let me uh, open us in a word of prayer, and then we'll, get, we'll dive right in. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come together tonight and discuss these uh, matters of, of who is our neighbor. We thank you that you have called us to yourself and you have commissioned us 
to carry your name and your word out to the nations. And as it may be, you've brought the nations to our doorstep. So may tonight's conversation be honoring to you, be edifying and encouraging and instructive to those listening. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, one other administrative note, normally we have an online app that you can offer up questions. David Calvert, who I, he would love to be up here and hates to miss it, but due to a, a very recent um, illness in the family, he's not able to join us. He loves demographics, numbers, charts. This is his conversation. Um, and without him, his technical per, uh, expertise, we're going to Hopefully, if we have time at the end, maybe take questions from the floor. If not, you can always email them to gracematters at graceccnc.org, and we can pick it up in a uh, either Faith Life post or in a future conversation. So, Mike, I want to turn to you and just can you give us an introduction of how you come about these numbers and what are some of these that we're going to look at tonight? Yeah, so the Baptist State Convention in North Carolina several years ago invested um, with a ministry program that looks at research data and it pulls it, it this is not something that uh, one of the things we quickly realize that everybody's kind of in the data business um, but not all of it is accurate not all of it is uh, what we need as far as churches and in, in gospel engagement and so we have been partnering now with an uh, organization that is partnered and part of ACS Technologies uh, mission insight and um, so we we have the ability to run in-depth demographics for all the churches that are partnered with the Baptist State Convention in North Carolina uh, as well as our partners elsewhere Danny Torres uh, is here with me tonight uh, Danny was one of our uh, church planning partners in uh, Bushwick Brooklyn and uh, we were able to run their demographics last night but these demographics um, are based on multiple uh, things are based on uh, census data uh, that gets down to the to the deepest zip code so it's not just a general demographic but actually gets down even deeper uh, it is information that is gleaned out of religious studies that are taking place uh, on an ongoing basis some of the data in here is the same data that target walmart places like that have access to spending habits what are needs they they pull information across the board and we're able to glean from that with a, a pinpoint accuracy of what it is that the community looks like, what are the trends in the last 10 years, what are the projected trends in the next 10 years, and we have found these to be an effective tool to be able to help churches see not only where they are now, but potentially where the community is going, not just from a data perspective, not just from an ethnic perspective, but also from a religious uh, viewpoint perspective, which we're going to look at some tonight. Um, and so this is really good information as far as its accuracy. And we have found it to be a place to at least start a conversation of who is my neighbor? Where uh, do I need to start as it changes and relates to this? And, and it's just very helpful. I was just with a church. I run about two of these a week for churches in our area. Um, and I was just at a church in Raleigh the other day and their neighborhood has drastically changed in the last 10 years. And most of the people in that room had no idea 
but now they're really excited about, okay, now we know who our neighbors are. So now what are we, what are we going to do about it? What are the strategies there to be able to do that? Well, you've already begun answering my question for you is the, the why. Why is this important? So, so I can imagine someone coming and saying, well, the parable of Good Samaritan and what James was writing, it doesn't really matter the demographics or the, um, or the socioeconomics of our neighbor because we minister the same. So for both of you coming from a state convention or as a business owner or an elder in a local church, why having this data is helpful or important? Well, I think it, you touched upon the answer in your question. Do we minister or do we evangelize or do we share the gospel the same? Um, and the church message, the gospel itself, has been unchanging for the last 2,000 years. But how that message has been uh, shared, why it's been shared, either from persecution or from you know, an, an empire trying to push the gospel or the church agenda. Um, here and where we are now, um, who we have in mind of who our neighbors might be, I think, is changing and has changed over the last 10 years. And how we engage with those people based on where they're from. I mean, yeah, 20 years ago, everybody in Fuquay was probably from North Carolina. <laughs> and now it's a much smaller percentage. So, yeah, they bring a lot of different uh, characteristics, attributes, beliefs um, into the conversation. Uh, the core of the gospel message is going to remain the same. But how you engage with that person, maybe the questions you ask them um, are a little bit deeper. The um, presuppositions you have about this person may be a lot different. Um, so that will allow you to engage in conversations that you might not otherwise it sounds like it'll give you a, a different starting point than we may have had before. And uh, we can't take for granted that they have religious words in their conversation because their meaning may be different now than it was 20 years ago. So why don't we uh, jump into some of these demographic numbers and Mike, maybe you can walk us through sure. uh, some that you find interesting. Yeah, so I, I think the um, the one thing I would share with you guys that 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 we really found as and uh, David and I kind of walked through what the 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 map radius would be where we would really dive deep and and target in there. Uh, one of one of the things that I think uh, was really important to see. Obviously, we all know this is a growing area. Uh, it is a um, it, it's a little bit hard for the projections to be. Um, done because it's hard to project who's going to sell their farm in the next five to 10 years. I, I think the answer to that, and I, I used to say this sort of jokingly, but I think it's true now. Um, everybody is selling their farms. Um, this area, Johnston County is the fastest growing county in North Carolina. Harney County is right there with it. And I think over the next few years, we'll probably uh, begin to catch up with Johnston County as far as its growth patterns. Uh, so we, we see a, a, a growing community. We also see a stabilizing community. And what I mean by that is the highest numbers of people that live in our community are the age groups that have families that are, have children at home. So that is the, um, that's the fastest and the most populous uh, community. So you have folks that are in their 30s, in their early 40s, 
we have uh, school-aged children, and they're moving into these neighborhoods. And how we see this stabilizing is that the trend in this study area is moving that on a consistent basis, the population age is getting older by one year. And we said, well, that makes sense because we all age one year every year. But that's not always true in some areas. So if we, I just ran demographics for a church in downtown Raleigh the other day. In downtown Raleigh, the projected age of that uh, study area actually goes down over the next 10 years because younger people are moving in. What tends to happen is they get married to have children and then they move out. And so then more younger people move in. What we see in this area, which is really good and it's a good uh, base point for the church to begin thinking, is that these people that are moving into Harnett County, and, and that's another uh, trend that we see, the death rate and the birth rate in the study area is about even. The growth is all transit growth that's coming from outside. And so we're averaging about 1,500 people transit, transitioning into this area um, on a regular basis. And most of those people are bringing with them a worldview that is very different than the people who are here now. And, and as Neil said, if they have church language or if they have theological or doctrinal language, when they say those words, we have to be careful because what they say um, does not necessarily mean what we think it means. Um, I believe in God doesn't really mean much when, when we peel back the layers if, if we try to get to what their doctrine is. So those are the biggest trends that we see in this area. It is continually growing. It is mostly growth and a high population of families with children at home that are school-age children, and that it is mostly transplant growth. Uh, the birth and death rates are staying about the same. And a consistent uh, foundational uh, pattern, which is good for the church because people are coming and they're investing themselves here. So it sounds like those who are coming in most likely have families and they're going to be around That's for true. long enough for us to get to know them at least. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, this is not a transitioning away. area. It is transitioning to the area and then foundational. And then their parents move. And then their parents move <laughs> yeah. here. That's a, that's a big yeah. trend. It's happening. Yeah, absolutely. So let's step to the next slide and um, we'll take these. You know, we don't need to sp spend too long on them, but uh, just let me know what it is we're looking at. And if anything pops out at you or Lee, especially as a, a business owner, operator, what are these things telling you if you were going to open a new branch in in one of these communities? Yeah, I'll give you kind of an overview from a business perspective. So in business, our goal is basic economics, supply and demand. We supply a product or service, and hopefully we're capable of doing that. And we hope that there is demand there, not just demand, but able demand. So we're looking for somebody with means to purchase the service we are capable of delivering. Um, and so in our business, we operate self-service laundromats. So we actually identify our primary customer, our target customer, as Angela. I gave her a name a few years ago so that all of our 
uh, staff members, team members can picture. In fact, we have printouts in our office of uh, what Angela might look like. Um, she is a single mother, a minority woman. She has at least two children in her home, and life is not always easy for her. And so when we are thinking about the decisions that we as a company are going to make, whether it be a change that we're going to make in our stores, like the implementation of a payment system, it's like, well, how does this affect Angela? You know, we, we need to make sure we're looking out for her and not make a decision that puts any burden on her because she represents a pretty large portion of our target customer. Now, when you translate that into sharing the gospel, what does that look like? Do we, do we segregate people? Do we not worry about other people? And I think that's why demographic, I feel like demographic maybe isn't the right word, but it's more ideological, having an understanding of how people, what people are thinking, how they come into a conversation about religion especially, or their faith, using words, you know. I think of the Discover, there's a Discover card commercial. Guy calls in, he's like, I'm looking for frog insurance. The guy's like, yeah, fraud insurance. <laughs> yeah, we might not always speak the same language even though we think we are. Um, so from our perspective, yeah, we just want to find that person, Angela is her name, and make sure that we're meeting her needs. And we can do that as a, as a church. We can structure ourselves to make sure that, yeah, if, if, if demographics show that the transient people coming into our area have 2.3 children and they're both married, they're both working, yeah, okay, do we, how do we expand our capacity for children's services? You know, do we have the right square footage for each person? Because if you think about every house, if the average is 2.3 children per family, those are good decisions to make. Um, and so I think that's where we're getting into is, yeah, what does this tell us about who may be the future members, leaders, potential hearers of the gospel, um, potential visitors of our, our church? And the good thing is, is that there's a green line up there. We're growing, <laughs> which you can see on your way down here or up here. There's neighborhoods everywhere. Um, so... To me, that's been the most encouraging aspect of the last 10 years that I've been here is we're such a strong foundational church with such strong foundational beliefs, teachings, and uh, yeah, we're in a growth area. So how do we, I don't want to say capture or capitalize that growth, but yeah, how do we share the gospel with those people? So knowing who they are is, is a, big, a big thing. Living where they are, maybe even a big thing. Well, I live in North Fuquay where not a whole lot of growth that's going on in my neighborhood, but uh, yeah, how we interact with people. I mean, in the McDonald's, I just, you know, talk to a guy that we're going to interact with them for sure. But as far as, you know, data, you know, we don't want to drown ourselves in data tonight. Um, but for me, it's interesting to see, we have people coming in, people are with family, um, but in, in some of the information that I went over, which I'm sure we'll get to, um, it, it's interesting to see the type of worldview that people are bringing with them. Because there are some things that I'm sure we'll see have changed. So we need to be aware as, as local folks that we're not having the same conversations we did 10 years ago. And we're going to be having less of them 10 years from now um, as not only 
population changes, but the worldview of those around us uh, is continuing to change at a pretty wild rate. Just in there's a four year comparison in this data that we have from 2017 to 2021. We're talking double double digit in uh, the net change, which is like 30 percent of the change compared to itself in certain areas. So maybe we'll, will we see some numbers? I don't know anything that's coming. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's definitely numbers. Okay, okay. Yeah. All right. So what what I see here is uh, if if you can't read that on the screen, uh, population growth uh, is is high. Uh, Household change is also high. It's going to be households as a whole that are moving in, and uh, as you can imagine, on the the back door of a university just down the road, um, the, the education of our neighbors are gonna be relatively high as well. Um, if you can go to the next slide, please. Yeah, and we, that's RTP. Sure, yeah, the, the, the greater area, that's right. Um, median family income holds about the same. However, poverty levels look like they're decreasing. So I suppose with increasing education, increasing um, job opportunities. Uh, Mike, can you speak a little more into uh, how we should interpret or rather apply this information? So, so one of the things about growth areas that we notice, and this is a pattern not only across United, uh, North Carolina, but across the states, um, when, when what is happening here in Harnett County starts happening, especially in our part of Harnett County, poverty goes down, not because there's less poor people, but because the people who live in these areas can no longer afford to live here because there's no affordable housing. So what's happening in our county is people are moving. The the poverty line is shifting toward Irwin and Dunn. And, and so the from a demographic perspective, that does mean that in the reach of the church, those living in poverty will continue to decrease. Um, and so that that's one of the the byproducts of housing happening the way it's happening in our part of the state is that the poverty starts, it, it doesn't eliminate it, it just moves it moves it to a different place. And it doesn't like loose, we talked about this a little bit at the coffee shop the other day, it doesn't lessen our responsibility to care for those that are in need. It's just a shifting of where they, they are. I can even uh, inform our expectations on the benevolence team of what sort of requests and how far these people are coming, uh, who to to help or who to expect to help. Um, Move to the next slide, please. Uh, We can see both uh, in a graph and chart form that growth will continue. It has continued for 20 years and um, is projected to uh, increase again for the next 10 um, but that blue line that you see on the, the bottom chart that's trending down, actually that's the rate of growth. Not the growth itself, but the, how fast it's growing. So the speed at which our community, that, that shape that you saw on the map earlier, is growing will plateau, but it will continue to grow. Anything else? Disinflation is what we call that. Not deflation, but disinflation. And, and some of that's hard to project. That, that's what the projection is. Um, but as, uh, like, it doesn't take, it, it did in our survey, but, like, if another company like Apple decides to move into our area, you know, 
there's no more room in Wake County, so they got to go somewhere. So people are coming to Johnston County, Harney County, Lee County, Chatham. Chatham County has a new $1 million housing market that is starting to take over in Chatham County. I have a friend who grew up and was born and raised in Chatham County, and that blows his mind. He lives in a 900-square-foot house in Chatham County, and the fact that that's the newest and hottest $1 million housing market in North Carolina is beyond people who grew up there's imagination. But it's because all these businesses are coming in. Greensboro, the triad has multiple multi-million dollar companies coming in, building batteries, building sonic planes, uh, the, the, the um, Vietnamese car factory is coming to our area, Apple, Google, all these places that are coming. So as those businesses, it may not be as sharp as a decline as, as the projection has indicated. One thing we know, it's gonna to continue to grow. What we see on the, the next slide is, uh, thankfully, those within the community are having as many children to replace ourselves. So the, the vast majority of growth is coming from outside, those who are moving to the area. Uh, anything to note here? It, yeah, I'll, sh I'll share with David the other day what this graphic tells, and this is abnormal for most areas. Like this is a high net migration. What that means is, is that the DNA of a community that normally takes 10 or 15 years to change, the thought processes, the worldviews, it will happen rapidly in Harnett County because of net migration, because you're not gradually changing worldview, it's being infiltrated like overnight. And that's a, that's a, it's important for us to understand. And they're all on TikTok, so that means that's it's right. just like even more. Right. It's microwave, <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, and, and that's what stood out for me as we begin to pivot from the um, socioeconomic demographics to moral religious views is people moving to our area from outside our area provides opportunity for growth within the church or the church to go out into the neighborhoods and, and reach people for Jesus. However, we need to keep in mind that believers within the church currently and those new believers who will enter the church, they don't simply lay down their old pagan worldview when they come to Christ and then pick up a pristine biblical Christian worldview with uh, ha having an answer for every question. For whatever reason, God has chosen to take our lifetimes to sanctify us. And those old ideas are, are hard to, to kill. That, that old man is still in there. So when I, when I see numbers of people who have interesting uh, and somewhat conflicting ideas of God, Jesus, how religion should play into uh, society, uh, it, it reminds me that those are not only questions that are answered outside the church walls, but we need to be aware of it inside our, inside our walls as well, which, which means to extend grace, extend grace to one another because God is continuing to work in each one of us, maybe at a different rate or on a different subject in my life as it is in, in your life, but we do need to be sharpening one another. So I'm going to ask to go to the, the next slide, and we're going to start to look at um, religious and moral beliefs. Um, Mike, can you walk us through why these top seven are on the screen? 
Yeah, and, and I would just say, especially these first two, they, they, they stuck out like those are very high numbers in our area. But, but look at the contrast of those two from our faith perspective and our, our doctrinal perspective. Um, so for those who can't see, the number one, uh, the, the highest ranking question is, I believe strong families are key to sh social stability. And the Just second wait till their answer comes out to achieve that. <laughs> <laughs> what do you define as family and what do you find as stable? Right. Number two is I believe tolerance is necessary for social peace and well being. Yes, yeah, so if you look at those two, worldview matters. Like like said, so what is the definition of family? And what is what does that look like? Um, what does tolerance mean? And how does that affect what I understand about a healthy community? And getting to the bottom of that helps us as we begin to have conversations and sharing the gospel with people. But we also need to look for, I think increasingly as the, as the area changes and the DNA of the people change as far as like what they think and what they process, where can we find common ground? And, and so I'm encouraged that people understand and recognize the need for strong families. We, we believe that in the church. Now, the definition of family is probably different, but at least we can start from, if, I've always found that if we can start with some level of agreement, then we can build on that and we can use that as a, as a tool as we introduce the gospel uh, to do that. Um, and then the idea of tolerance raising up there. Um, we can't get into all the, I mean, we could spend hours and hours on this research, but the reality is, is that it is a shifting demographic, not just from younger people, but from those that are migrating in. What we would consider a biblical worldview will be almost non-existent in those that move into this area in the next 10 years. And so this is an indicator that there are some common grounds, but we have to understand that those common grounds aren't as common as we think they are just because of the language and the work that we have to do to build those bridges and those gaps. Uh, but I do find it interesting that people still recognize, and that's, that 15 ratio, that's off the chart. Like that, that usually doesn't get that high. There is a real strong desire and need for family. Um, we just have to help from a gospel perspective, biblical perspective, what does that mean or what does it look like? And these are families that are moving here. You know, right. so yeah. They probably have a, they identify themselves, I think, with that yeah. type of group. One thing that when I was looking through this and talking in this area brings to mind is the importance and the power of words. Words are, are very important. Um, not to get too political, but the left always seems to have a very good uh, ability to hijack and redefine words and then begin to use those in culture. And then before you know it, the meaning of the word is something completely different, especially from a biblical perspective. You know, like love is love and things like that. And before you know it, I mean, your kids are 18 years old and They've heard these things and seen videos about these things. And so it is very important to, I think for us as a church, as a body, as parents, as grandparents, 
um, as anyone who has any influence over, especially our younger people, um, to just continue to hone in on how important words are to teach them what love is. It, it's not a an intimate relationship between two or more people. You know, God, God is love. That is where we. That is where love comes from. It comes from our triune God. It doesn't have anything to do with a a relationship between two people in whatever way they choose, you know, or what does family look like? Yeah, it could be your, your mom and your grandma. That might be your family. Um, but there are also other ways in which we could define family that are not truly how we should define what a family looks like. Um, and that's not to cast any shame on anybody. Um, but certainly to continue to make sure that our worldview is understood by other people and how we define these things. Things like grace, mercy, justice, equity. You know, you have all these words that have been thrown around for a long time. And so, especially when these millennial people like me are moving in with, with 2.3 kids, yeah, you want to make sure that as you're having conversations, yeah, you're, you're, you are truly speaking the same language. And if you identify that you're not, to have a firm understanding of what it what the biblical purpose of, of that word really is. So I think that's important and to know and understand and teach our children and ourselves um, as we continue to have conversations with folks. So Lee, you've been mentioning the conflict of language. We've also identified some conflicts in where there's strong agreement, but it may not actually play itself out in a biblical fashion. If you go to the next slide, this uh, listing shows those questions that had very weak agreement. I'd ask uh, either or both of you to comment on numbers 23 and 25. Number 23 says, I believe religious communities should be exempt from LGBTQ-based policies or regulation. Again, there is very weak agreement with that statement. And number 25, I believe abortion should be become illegal. Very weak agreement. So again, I was mentioning earlier, there is a comparison between respondents in 2017 and respondents in 2021. And for abortion, it says abortion should become illegal. 2017, 30.1% of people agreed with that. And in 2021, 20% of people agreed with that. That's not a 10% shift. That's a 33% shift. Because what you have is you have a third of the people who thought that it should be illegal move into another camp. Not just the no opinion camp, but it looks like about 13% moved over yeah. from their ideological perspective. In four years, I was amazed by that. That's amazing to think about. So when Mike talks about the speed at which these things are changing, it is it's astronomical. And I, I, I think our um, connectedness with social media, especially for millennials like myself, who are you know 28 to 40 years old. Yeah, what we're learning, what we're gathering from the world through these means, it has a significant impact. And I think it shows up in things like that when a third of the people who think that, yeah, abortion should be illegal four years ago have moved over outside of the, I agree with that. You know, another thing down there at the bottom, like 
we have to be, one of the things, and I, I just personally believe um, having, so a little background, most of you know this, but I, I was pastor of Bowie's Creek First Baptist for five and a half years, and being right there at Campbell, right on, on the campus, um, you know, there, there's a lot of interaction that we have with, with college students on a regular basis, and, um, and, and the younger folks, especially in this, this demographic, um, for them, the idea of a church, and you see this reflected in number uh, 23, the idea of a church having an exemption when it comes to LBGTQ community, like, like as a pastor, I thought I would never have to take that for granted. In America. In America, yeah. In the like, Southeast. Like we, you know, there, there's this, the classic Supreme Court case. It was actually a Mormon case that protected that. Um, it was a, a, the Supreme Court allowed the Mormon church to dismiss a janitor because of beliefs. And the church has kind of lived on that for, for a long time. And, um, but, but people growing up and, and this changing demographic is that the church should have no different in its, you know, statement of belief doesn't really matter. The, the, the tolerance, which showed up in that other slide, kind of goes one way in, in many things. It, it's, we have to tolerate sort of a, a shifting thought process of worldview but the church will not be allowed to have that tolerance for themselves, that, that religious liberty. And so the communal support for that is, is really starting to wane even now. I mean, it's not even a concern. As a pastor, I cringe at that number, uh, number 23, uh, because if we can't function under our belief system, then, then that starts to really put us in a different mindset as how we have to go about engaging people with the gospel um, and, and, and holding on to the truth of the word of God. And so that, that's, it's just, it, it just here, it's, a, um, it, it's just either not on people's radar or it's there and, and it rubs the wrong way. Um, and so that it's just something for us to be aware of. And that is a that demographic is not changing in the direction of the church. It's it's changing rapidly in the other direction. The, the next slide shows us that not only are folks um, conflicted about religion and morality in society, but they seem to be confused about Jesus as well. Uh, is there anything here that particularly stands out to you and uh, how it may inform our engagement with, with our neighbors. Yeah, you know, I, I, I think number one and number two, uh, I'll touch number one real quick first. I think that's, sometimes we can get defensive. I, I used to tell folks, um, usually when we hear truth, we either accept it or we get defensive. Um, and most of us tend to get defensive, I know I do. Um, but people, when they see um, the church, um, sometimes when we say, well, people say, well, the church doesn't believe as Jesus or doesn't behave as, as Jesus um, would behave. We say, well, they just don't know who Jesus was. And part of that's true. 
But part of it is if we don't live life um, according to the word, if we don't if we don't truly take the gospel seriously, if we don't truly take the word of God seriously and our actions and how we live and how we treat one another, how we love one another um, as believers, um, that has an impact on our community. Um, and people see that. And, and then switching down to number two, um, that's a new trend that I think is also continuing. And I think it's part of the online culture. It, it's, do we really need a community of believers? And that one breaks my heart um, that people that, that got such a, a strong agreement. But, but part of that is COVID. I mean, the, these surveys were done post sort of the, the crisis area of COVID. But people believing that, that we don't really have to be a part of a body of believers and, and, and I'll just, you know, from state convention level, part of that's our fault. Um, I wish I would have never said in the beginning of the pandemic, online church is just as good as being here. You know, we said that because we don't want people to feel isolated. That's we we didn't say that. Yeah, okay, good. I'm glad you didn't say that. I wish I would have never said that. Uh, I, I wish I would have been stronger about it. no substitute. Oh, yes, there is no substitute. You need people around and, and oftentimes, too, these larger churches, not, I'm not, don't want to put any large church down, but if there is not a system engaged to get people actively involved in what truly the body of Christ looks like, then the, the importance of that is going to continue to drop. And it's why we must have a church engagement. So those, those are, those are high um, levels there of how we behave matters. Um, and letting people know that it is important that we're a part of a body of Christ. And that body is continuing to be refined, I think, as our numbers increase throughout our footprint. Uh, the body is still being refined. We have believers who are coming into the area who join biblically-minded uh, Orthodox churches like Grace Community Church, um, so the body's being refined, and I'm going to point to a few statistics that, I, that you can't see, so hang with me for just a second. In this study area, I have a personal relationship with Jesus received 39.8% of agreement. Jesus is the only way for human salvation from sin received 34.6%. And Jesus lived a perfect sinless life while on earth 31.9%. So we have a net difference of 8% who say they have a personal relationship with Jesus, but that Jesus did not live a perfect, sinless life while on earth. That's some dissonance we need to be concerned about as we continue to not just share the gospel, but as people are coming into our body who say that they are a Christian, that we're continuing to pour into them and, like we say, established believers here at Grace Community Church to make sure that the biblical truths that we hold to that have been orthodox for millennia are believed by our body and that they're professed and that they're taught. You know, if you have children, you're teaching those truths to your children also. Your grandchildren, you're teaching those truths. But to me, the dissonance between those numbers was, was pretty big. So I'm going to ask the big, so what? 
Um, all this news seems uh, discouraging, overwhelming, uh, even negative. It rather than just throwing up our hands and saying, okay, the neighborhood's going to hell in a handbasket. <laughs> Literally. And then, and then shutter the doors. What ought to be the church's response? Well, I really think our, our response has to be, and, and um, it, it's relational. Uh, we were talking about this coffee shop the other day. One, one of the statistics that has not changed year over year as long as they've been doing the survey, and that is if, if someone you have a relationship with invites you to something of faith, whether it be a worship service, a Bible study, people come. Overwhelmingly, they come. So it, it's relational. It's incarnational. We have to live in our communities where they are as believers. We see them in our neighborhoods as our mission field that God has placed us in. Um, and um, so I, I think it's exciting as a person who sends churches all over the world to engage in missions. I think we have to, as churches, start to see our neighborhoods as those new mission fields and say, how do we live incarnationally? How do we how do we truly live as people of God in our communities and make a difference right in our neighborhoods? So I think it's exciting. Lee, do you see ways in which we can um, either grow or modify or perhaps shift focus in the various ministries here at Grace that can engage in that one-on-one -on -one, um, invitation to, to community? Sure, there's always opportunity to improve um, kind of how we strategically are not just reaching those who are outside of the church, but also bringing in and um, holding on to those who are, who are here. We mentioned earlier, yeah, the family, the number of families, uh, young families, I'll call them millennials, because they're, like I said, about 28 to 40 years old. Um, those are who are moving in, and so we need to make sure that we have uh, the manpower, the volunteer power, the space um, to house those people. Because as mom and dad, or maybe just mom, decide to go to church on a Sunday, we want to be able to um, have the room that we can invite those people in, welcome those people in, um, accommodate them, uh, learn about what people are interested in, um, engage in uh, learning topics, fun activities, so that we can make sure that those who are outside of the community, outside of the, the community of believers, like you said, feel, feel welcome to have something even, think of vacation Bible school, you know, that's usually for the children, but it brings the parents too. Maybe we have more events where the parents are invited, where the target is, is that, that parent, that maybe the, the mother and father who are coming in to experience something where they, an event where they get to see the body of Christ love each other. And that is, I mean, truly an attractive thing. That's the, the purpose of it, so that the non-believing world will be drawn into that. And yeah, perhaps the Lord will draw people to himself through how Grace Community Church or other churches throughout our entire area um, live amongst one another. I'll, I'll add something I, or return to something I mentioned earlier, and that is, uh, what I've heard Brad mention before is the the compelling argument of a coherent, consistent Christian and biblical worldview. When we have our neighbors, they have beliefs, some of which 
can be described as religious, uh, some of which can be described as anti-Christian even, but they may not have a foundation for which to hold those beliefs. And one of the things that we can do to engage them is to present a coherent and consistent worldview that is an understanding of how creation works. And it's grounded in Christ as creator and redeemer. And again, it's not just outside these walls that we need to be concerned about this. When we gather together uh, on Sundays, when we gather in our homes for small groups, when we engage in personal study, we need to be equipped, just as Peter encouraged us, to hold Christ the Lord as holy and be ready always to give an answer for the reason of the hope that lies within us, but do this with gentleness and respect. Folks, we have just a couple of minutes um, before we end our time, are there any questions that you would like to ask? And um, if you want to ask it from where you're seated, I can repeat it for the for the mic so we can all hear. Gary? So he's asking the about the net number within the the study group, words, the polygon. If you had, and I don't know if this okay. number was brought yep. up or not, but what was the population within the area, and then what is the growth rate within the area? So, so we're looking at the population and projected growth rate, or the actual growth rate of yeah, the polygon on the map. Yeah, it was 12,000 12, people over 10 years, and then about 9,000 projected over the next 10 years, 8,000, from 2010 to 2022. Is that what you're talking about? The net? I, I couldn't read. Yeah, so we're, at 2022, we're 53,000. 2010, we were at 41, 42,000. So about 11,000 net increase, which is almost 50% of the 2010 level. And, and this, this study comes in different uh, formats, or we should say maybe lengths. <laughs> so if anybody's interested in digging deeper into the numbers or the questions or any of that, just, just let me know afterward and, and we can get copies to you. Closing their doors, possibly, and seemingly that a lot of 
Protestant steeple churches, which seem to have an older population within them, mm -hmm. are, some of them are, are struggling. So he's asking about the the health of churches in the area and if, if there's any indication that we can compare numbers in this area of those who profess faith uh, compared to those who are moving into the area. Yeah. So in behavioral economics, we call uh, a bias overconfident. And some people are overconfident, especially when they do a self-assessment. <laughs> so you, you usually get a little bit of a skew when somebody is answering something about themselves. Um, in looking at exactly what you're asking, the question, Jesus is the only way for human salvation from sin, has the narrowest margin of response in questions such as, Jesus rose from the dead, or Jesus is the only way for human salvation, um, or what was the other? There's a couple more. Um, so in 2017, Jesus is the only way for human salvation. 51% of, of respondents agreed with that statement. Four years later, 34.6% of people agreed with that statement. That's, that's a bad trajectory. That's a, that's a difficult, that when I read through this, that was hard to swallow. The fields are ripe. <laughs> And they're becoming more and more ripe every day as these families move from across the country into this area. Um, but that, that changes things. That changes the, the shape of a lot of things, um, especially when they bring in, like we talked about, their own worldview, their own perspectives, the way they define things. But at, as grace, we need to make sure that we are continuing to engage with these people and to build up just strong Believers who are passionate about their relationship with Christ, who are uh, being encouraged in the Word and in every aspect of their life. Um, the, the work is the same throughout the centuries. <laughs> you know, it just, people have never moved so fast, so quickly, and the world is there, I mean, with every means you can imagine to, to fight against the gospel. And so it's a it's just exponential. It, it may point us also towards um, healthy relationships with like faith churches That's so good. that we can encourage each other. Well, I was going to say, and I'll say this real quickly, kind of to answer the steeple church question. Uh, one of the things that God has done post COVID is we have, um, so in our area, we've, we've put together a collective in the Raleigh Durham area eight churches that are biblically sound, growing, healthy churches that are um, working, we're partnering with them. And we are also then seeking out and building deeper relationships with some of our churches that are in real risk of dying. And we are walking them through an assessment process and a church fostering process where those healthy, strong, doctrinally sound churches are coming alongside these dying churches for a period of six to 12 months. And at the end of that six to 12 month period, we then offer options that range from replanting to just form a new church, to bring in a new church plant, or to continue that fostering toward church health. We have over a hundred churches right now across the state that we're doing that with. We have about two dozen in the Raleigh-Durham area that we're doing that. 
we're extremely excited. These are churches that would never have had those conversations pre-COVID, and they're calling us now and saying, we need help. I, I've been meeting uh, probably once a week. I meet with a different church somewhere in our area that reaches out and says, we need help. And I'll, I'll, from a doctrinal perspective and a clarity perspective, one of those churches up in Raleigh, would I would have, on a scale of are they biblically sound, I would say no. But in their desperation, they reached out and we matched them with a church that's very sound, doctrinally, theologically. And they said, yeah, come on in. And we're, they're voting on November the 20th to accept this partnership. And this is in a high strategic area in Raleigh that's growing and we're so encouraged by that. So God's really doing something and it's exciting because this was not happening. When I used to go into a church and say, can we assess like your future? It was like, no. And now they're begging us to come and that's super exciting and encouraging. So. That's neat. One other thing, if I can touch on just from a hard numbers perspective was People in the church do not behave as Jesus would behave. 2017, 24% of people disagreed with that statement. They would say people in the church do behave as Jesus would behave. Four years later, 8%. So the standard for our behavior is set. It's Jesus. That's what our neighbors expect us to be. That's who our neighbors expect us to be. Um, their expectation for themselves, there's no telling. They, they have no standard. There's no benchmark. Um, so we can't hold them to our standard, but they are absolutely holding us to the standard that they have set and what they think it should be in the person that they know of as Jesus. Um, there's a lot of minutia in there, I'm sure, but yeah, the standard has been set for how we should behave and what their version of Jesus would do, and that's that's what they hold us against. They now the world is watching, yeah. for good or for ill. All right, as we bring this to a close, any any final thoughts, comments, encouragement for the church? I just want to say, um, and I get to travel, so I have twelve hundred churches that I um, interact with on a. I wouldn't say a regular basis, but have the opportunity to interact with. And um, I'm encouraged by what you guys are doing. Um, God is doing some amazing things. Uh, we are seeing churches planted. We are seeing neighborhoods reached. We are seeing people that God is bringing to North Carolina. We live in a great time as the church to be in North Carolina because people are coming here. We're one of the fastest growing States, and this is one of the fastest growing areas, and we have the opportunity to be the church, to share the gospel, and see lives transformed for Christ. And so I'm super excited and encouraged by that, um, that, that that opportunity has been given to us by God. Yeah, so do we grow or do we plant? <laughs> yeah, those are important questions to consider. Definitely. Well, thank you for joining us, um, Mike, Lee, and everyone who's, who's here tonight and those listening. I uh, very much appreciate this conversation. I think it uh, will provide us 
good insight moving forward. So let me send us out with the blessing of a prayer. Father, again, we give you thanks and praise for drawing us to you and uh, drawing us together tonight for this conversation. I pray that uh, those things that are true and accurate and beautiful uh, would be remembered and uh, brought to the forefront and that anything else would fall by the wayside. May you make us worthy to carry your name to our neighbors, to the community at large, and may you grow your church and uh, all to your glory. And it's in the beautiful name of Jesus we pray these things. Amen. I hope you enjoyed getting to hear Neil, Lee, and Mike chew on this demographic data from our specific polygon that we drew. If you'd like to receive the packets that we used to chew on all these questions, then please send an email to gracematters at graceccnc.org or speak to me, Neil, or Lee whenever you see us around church. We would love to share this data we got from Mike and the North Carolina Baptists. It's very interesting and it's going to change even more over the next several years. We'll probably do a refreshed version of this once the big old neighborhood out back gets finished being built and those houses begin to be occupied. One final word that I want to throw in is something that Mike and I talked about over the last couple weeks. The y'all come mentality isn't really working as much in our neighborhoods anymore. Large all-call events where we just blanketly invite people, they don't really have the impact they used to. As we're in an increasingly post-church culture, instead of the all-call, which is losing its efficacy, we need to remember the one-to-one invite, which hasn't lost any of its efficacy. Nine out of 10 times, if you invite someone personally to join you for corporate worship, or to join your family for a meal, or to come to another church event of some sort, nine times out of 10, they'll say yes, especially if they know you. So if you want to be a good neighbor, which is how Jesus answers that question way back in the beginning of the title of this whole conversation, when Jesus was asked, who is my neighbor? His response is how to be a good neighbor. So let's follow Jesus and live like good neighbors with all these folks who are moving into our area. Again, if you have any more questions, please shoot a note to gracematters at graceccnc.org. And we look forward to the next Grace Matters conversation when there's a fifth Sunday. You've been listening to Grace Matters, conversations establishing believers in the truth.